0: Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now... Please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders.
1: Hello and welcome to season three of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado helping organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we created, developed, to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. Thank you so much for being here today to talk about the future of leadership. In recent coaching sessions and workshops with clients, my team and I have heard an increasing number of people use the following words to describe their life and work. Overwhelm, fatigue, overload, anxiety, stress. But the number one word that I have personally heard, and a lot of my team members are also reporting as well, that we hadn't heard previously is a different word. And that word is relentless, relentless. People are moving hard and fast today. They're delivering more than they've ever delivered in the past, and they have fewer resources to do it. To navigate these complex times, to me, it is more than just about mental fortitude. It's more than just about grit. It's more than just sucking it up. To me, it's truly being intentional about the choices that we make and staying focused on those choices that are within our control. So, To support you throughout the next three months in this very dynamic time, we are completely focused on resilience through our Bounce Back series. Throughout the next three months, we're gonna be releasing seven podcast episodes, blog posts, practical tools that you and your team will be able to immediately use to help you and others in your organization develop resiliency the resiliency that it takes to not only survive, but to thrive in this complex world. And to help us along the way, I wanna welcome my special guest, Jan Jenkins. She's an executive coach and master facilitator on our team. She works with high-performing executives and senior leaders who call on her to help them successfully navigate today's unprecedented speed of change. Thousands of leaders have used her model, Courage Edge, finding a way forward and leading through uncertainty to spark innovative thinking while building better businesses. Jan's understanding of what it takes to be a resilient leader was forged in the depths of personal tragedy. She's going to share a bit about that on the episode today. Throughout the long journey of seeking justice for her son, she demonstrated consistently for thousands of people on national media what it looks like to stand up for what you believe in with courage, commitment, and resilience. In 2009, Jan wrote a book about her experience, Footprints of Courage, Our Family's Struggle for Justice. So what you're gonna hear today in this episode will help you and your people make immediate changes. Jan's gonna share with us today her Courage Edge model to help leaders build resilience within their organizations. Let's go to the interview now. Jan, as you know, and as we talked about before the show, this season is all about resilience and and bouncing back. And we've been through so much this year, the global pandemic, a divisive political environment, weather events like fire and flood. I know we both live here in Colorado. We're feeling the effects of that economic uncertainty, and not to mention the complexity and and the volatility and the ambiguity that is so much of our workplace today. You're an executive coach who works with dozens of leaders and organizations at any given time. I'd love to hear your perspective. What are you noticing in our workplace today?
0: It's an interesting question, Sal, because I would say perhaps more than any other time, I'm noticing that There are almost two different groups of people, some extent, some are handling this pandemic and overload better than others. And others are really, really struggling. And part of that is what is the overload they're experiencing? I mean, if a leader is all of a sudden, let's say one member of a family, if it's a two parent family has lost a job, all of a sudden there's homeschooling their children they're they've lost their office they've lost their connect with people mm-hmm. i mean there are people are facing so much right now that what i'm finding is the overload is pushing people to really find out who they are and what they're capable of
1: yeah i don't think in recent history there's ever been a time where our personal lives and professional lives have been so closely linked Mm -hmm. because of all of those things that you've talked about, the virtual environment, kids being home from school and homeschooling, all of those things. And I think it's, you know, for many, it's adding a lot of additional stressors that we haven't experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been researching and studying resilience now for a long time, but it's really been part of our focus recently, just seeing these stressors that people are going through. From your vantage point, what is it? What is resilience, and why is it important in the workplace?
0: Well, first of all, resilience there's many definitions I think the most common is probably being able to overcome challenges, to remain calm, tranquil, and problem solve in the face of adversity yeah. being able- to withstand the heat or the pressure and maintain. I did not realize it right away. I discovered this book called Geeks and Geezers. It was, yeah, it was written in 2002 when I think a lot of people were asking themselves, what is it that helps people be resilient? It was right after 9 11. People had a lot that they were thinking about. Our world changed forever. At that point, it's never gone back to how it was. And this pandemic will be the same thing. So it was written by Warren Bennis, who's written 30 some books on leadership and, and Robert Thomas, expert, you know, leadership expert. And what they really wanted to do was interview leaders to evaluate how era had an impact on leadership success and influence. And so they defined a geek as people between 21 and 34, and the geezers were people between 70 and 82. And they expected some of the things you might guess, like what would differentiate your extraordinary leaders, maybe family or educational background, career vision, work ethic, intelligence, some of those kinds of things. What they found was an extraordinary surprise. None of that was a differentiator in who became and remained a leader, stayed a leader. What they discovered was it was really people who had had at least one defining moment in their life and how they called these defining moments crucibles. Mm -hmm. It was a time when an individual was forced to make a decision about who they are and what they're capable of. And interestingly enough, it could be positive or negative. It could be big or small. The point was you went through a period of t- testing and there was a transformation. Mm. What emerged was a, actually one of two directions, which is kind of what I mentioned earlier. Either an individual became hopelessly broken or powerfully emboldened to learn and lead. And the other thing that they they coined a term called adaptive capacity, and they said these are traits that typified these extraordinary leaders. They their shared traits were like adaptability, vision, integrity was a big one, and unquenchable optimism.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it, with the work that we do, Jen. We're we're often really focused on how is our world changing and what skills and capacities are going to be required for people to be successful with the future of work. And with all of the technological changes that are happening, what people are going to really need to do and to develop is it's less about technology skills and it's going to be more about the uniquely human skills. And then in the number one word that shows up in, in lists of research on on what those skills are, is adaptability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's adaptability. Mm-hmm. And I just heard a quote yesterday uh, from somebody describing resilience, and uh, it's not really about being the strongest, but it's about being the the one or the the group that can adapt the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've had a a story, an experience of tragedy in your life, a a crucible moment yourself.
0: And interestingly enough, Sal, I discovered this book about four or five years after this happened. Mm. And my understanding and experience with resilience is not from my intellectual briefcase in my head. It's from the school of hard knocks. AKA life. We ran into a situation that is probably every parent's worst nightmare. November 1, 2002, we call our son's home to check about car insurance, only to find out that he was missing. Our son, Chris, was 21. Missing did not compute. Maybe his car keys, maybe a credit card, not Chris. He was a college senior in the Carlson School of Management, graduating in one semester. He was the goalie on the University of Minnesota lacrosse team. This kid was at the top of his game, loved life, had a zest for life. It wasn't just his family, his roommates, his professors. We contacted, you know, like a 360 gamut of his life. Everyone was stunned. We contacted the Minneapolis police and learned that because he was older than 18, he had a right to disappear and he was probably on a road trip. Based on what we knew about our son, and he and my husband, Steve, spoke every day. We were a really close family. They, they were good pals at this point, okay? We just knew something was wrong. So this began what ended up being years of an investigation. We. Again, I mentioned that was 2002, literally 10 days after what would be his 22nd birthday in early 2003, February 27th. His body was found in the Mississippi River between the University of Minnesota campus and Minneapolis. This story got big so fast. We were on Good Morning America less than two weeks after Chris disappeared because in a 10 day period, Chris Jenkins being first, there were 10, or excuse me, there were three college age men in a hundred mile radius that disappeared. And months later, they were found in bodies of water. We felt, my husband and I, that we were being summoned. It was a calling to step up, not just for our son, there was a bigger picture. And as of now, there are hundreds of young men that have met this fate. In 2008, Chris's death was termed a homicide, partly because of all the work we'd done, and there were other reasons as well. In 2008, we had a national conference in New York City where basically we handed the reins, if you will, to two retired NYPD, who to this day are carrying on this investigation. Mm Throughout this period of time, the question that my husband and I were asked the most is How did you guys stay so strong? How did you do what you did? And I had to sit back and really think about that. And I came up with five different points that I put in a book. I wrote a book about this entire situation, Footprints of Courage. And it isn't just about our family's footprints hundreds hundreds of people stepped forward to help there was support coming in electronically around the world within a couple of days mm-hmm. one thing i would encourage leaders to do is when you're in any crisis or tough situation gather your support networks around you get as much support as you need and you know and encourage your people to do the same thing so these five points Basically, the first one was belief. You know, what did we believe? And in this situation, we had an unwavering belief in our son, Chris. We knew who he was. We would never leave one of our own behind. The second point was purpose. Our why. Mm -hmm. So it was rock solid, laser focused, Find Chris. And we knew very quickly, seek justice. We knew something was dramatically wrong. The third one was basically a decision. It was the, it was, and that decision is courage. Having courage to make the decisions, take the actions that you need to take. There was an instance within the first couple of weeks after he disappeared, when our daughter was really falling Okay. She was really stressed Mm -hmm. and I, she was literally on the floor and my husband and I picked her up. We put our arms around each other and I felt like an oak tree. That's all I can tell you is I felt like an oak tree. I believe it was divine intervention. We put our arms around each other and I said, okay, this is it. We're staying together. No matter what, we're going to build each other up. We're not going to tear each other apart. And there was energy going around us Sal, i to this day we are like you know circling the wagons the three of us are so close we're inseparable i would not want to come up against the three of us <laughs> in anything in I mean,
1: any capacity right? no
0: no and and to this day you know if i'll be talking to our daughter sarah about something she'll say oh mom you've been through much worse than this it's like an immediate mm-hmm. reset right so the first point was belief. The second point was purpose. The third being courage, bringing eliciting courage, bringing it forth. And even the Greeks believed that rational component was making a decision, Yeah. literally making a decision. The fourth step is commitment. And commitment is really about staying the course, going the distance, regardless of circumstances. I can remember, I was asked by the media all the time, didn't you ever wanna give up? Well, I didn't wanna give up, I did get tired. I did get, I did feel hopeless. And what I did sell more than once is I got a bunch of pictures of Chris. I lined them up along the mantle and I took one look in his eyes and I was back on track in a New York second,
1: because
0: what I did at that moment in time is I reconnected with the why. So that commitment point, if you go back to your why, that purpose, why are we doing this anyway, that will help you go the distance. In fact, one of the chapters in my book is Finishing Strong, and I share an example there. In fact, Sal, I think your son, isn't Eli seven?
1: He's seven. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. So Chris at the time was just like a couple years older and I was watching. It it was a baseball game. My husband was coaching hot, sultry day. Team was down by three runs. The kids are starting to watch butterflies more than pop flies. Right. I mean, they're just losing. (laughs) And Chris goes running up to my husband and he goes, dad, you've got to pump them up you've got to tell them that when you start a game you have to be willing to finish hmm. and i think that really typifies commitment it's going all the way and finishing strong and then the the fifth point is resilience that ability to to persevere through adversity one definition that i really think is interesting in terms of resilience is it's what shapes us yeah makes us who we are the broken and the new growth the character lines if you will of being alive
1: yeah and jen when i look at you and i've got had a chance to you know get get to know your husband steve a little bit over these years i mean i just see two incredibly special people who are stronger who have emerged stronger and been shaped very powerfully by this event
0: yes thank you and that's one of the things in during this pandemic that i've had to sit back and realize okay jan you may be doing really well you know psychologically emotionally etc that doesn't mean everyone is and sal you know what? I'd give up all that learning in a New York second to have Chris back. It's not one of the options. Yeah. And as right. leaders, we will figure out pretty quickly by looking at a situation, what the options are and what they aren't. And we were really acting as leaders through this, this entire ordeal with Chris, because as you can imagine, he was 21, So we've got all these kids that are 19 to 24, right? And Chris was really close to them. One of the things I promise you that held me together was being on those search parties with them, Mm -hmm. bringing everybody together every night and reminding them to go to class. Don't skip work. And of course, nobody was paying any attention to that because none of us could sleep anyway. But as leaders, we need to remember, even when we feel like quitting or we feel like we're so overwhelmed, we don't even know how to go forward, we need to remember that there are people watching everything we say and do and everything we don't say and do. It's a great big ecosystem, if you will. And we need to be strong for them. That's mm-hmm. part of our role as a leader.
1: Yeah. I know that your leaders are incredibly talented and smart. At 512 Solutions, we only work with successful people and teams who wanna get better. I also know that your people are facing unprecedented levels of complexity and uncertainty in the workplace. Sometimes leaders need extra support along the way to build resilience and confidence. With a 512 coach by their side, Your leaders will navigate their complex relationships with other senior and executive leaders more smoothly. They'll better understand the impact of their actions and decisions on the larger corporate culture, and they'll expand their capacity to think and act strategically. And with our proprietary Coach Metrics platform, they'll have 24/7 access to leadership tools, resources, and their coach. And we're one of the few coaching companies in the world to measure behavioral change, and return on investment as a result of the coaching. To learn more about our programs, check out our website at 512solutions.com. Let's go back to our interview now. I was um, working with a team a couple weeks ago and, and they were sharing some of the emotions that they were experiencing today, not just because of work. In fact, it was mostly because of things outside of work, things like fatigue and anxiety and uncertainty and stress and feeling drained and being claustrophobic, feeling a, a feeling of claustrophobia. And the part of what we came to through our work, and this is a leadership team, was they had to find a way to create new meaning for mm-hmm. their people, for the organization, the why that you talked about. And they had to, came up with a new set of words, possibility, mm-hmm. opportunity, Teamwork, potential, empowerment, starting over, the beginning. And we do have to find that strength within us to to create that purpose and that why and that vision for our people in these times. And to me, that that touches on a lot of the things that are part of your model, the belief, the uh, purpose, the resilience component, the commitment component. I wonder if we, you know, almost think about either some organizations or changes that organizations are going through today and and connect this courage edge model into what businesses are are actually experiencing. We we know that many organizations have had to shift product lines or come up with new offerings in response to what's happening today. Let's maybe step through each of these components of the model and 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 apply it to leadership and to business today. Belief is the first component. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and and just to have a visual, what I did when I created it was it's in the shape of a star Mm. because our sun was called a shining star a lot. And so each of these five stepping stones, courage meaning finding a way forward and leading through uncertainty, each of these are stepping stones on how to find that way or find that path, if you will, Belief is so big because what is our mindset? What is it that we believe about this? It will help us ground ourselves in, does it make sense to move forward? And, And it doesn't matter if we're talking about, you know, Ford Motor Company. During the pandemic, of course, they were shut down. They started making respirators. They had a whole new product line based on need that they started producing. Zoom, for example. Zoom stock has grown 680% since the beginning of the year. Just within the past month, they've come out with a new product on Zoom, which basically is hosting events, ticketed events.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And that is a response to what's happening in our world today. We're learning that it's becoming increasingly seamless to function at home, both from a work or a social setting. So when it comes to making some of these shifts and determining how we move forward, what is it we believe? MyPillow is a great example. Founded in 2004, the CEO, Mike Lindell. By 2010, it was a multi-million dollar company. In March of this year, that organization shifted 75% of their production over to making face masks for Mm. hospitals. Now, what made them do that? I would guess that their belief system and what they believed about what their contribution was in the world had a lot to do with how they made that decision. And it's not only about your, your values, your mission, it's your, your mindset in terms of, are you going forward powerfully?
1: Yeah, we, in a a recent episode, I interviewed um, a psychologist, Dr. David Palmitter, and we talked about this to some extent, like we get to choose the meaning that we have with some unexpected event or some situation. And the meaning that we attach to something, will directly impact the behaviors and actions that we take as a result. Jan, the second component is purpose, and you've talked in, you know, incredibly in depth about the why and how leaders have to really be clear about their why. Say more about why this is so important in driving and moving through times of uncertainty.
0: I think if the purpose, if the why is not there, What is it that we will fall back on when it gets tough? When things don't go as we expected? When we're we're finding that, okay, we've made some mistakes along the way, and yet there's been more that's been outside of our control than inside Mm -hmm. of our control. And that really, I think, has been a key for resilient people as well. They're focused on... What can they control? And to your point, any situation, given our response to it, determines our personal outcome.
1: Yeah. And I do. Yeah, we find the same things, Jan. Highly resilient people focus on making those very intentional choices, especially around those things that they can control.
0: Mm Courage.
1: Courage. It's taken a lot of courage for organizations to navigate our environment today. How do we develop that courage in our people?
0: One of the things that sounds so simple, I believe it's stretching Mm -hmm. our comfort zone just a little bit. I don't think we need to jump out of an airplane. I think we can take baby steps. And the cool thing is every time we step out of our comfort zone, We develop more confidence and we're able to do it again. Pretty sure it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, every time you face fear, you step into that arena, you develop strength, courage, and confidence.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So giving people stretch opportunities. um, Mm -hmm. And especially, I just got off the phone with someone earlier today who talked about driving harder and driving faster than ever with fewer resources than we've had before. There's plenty of opportunities to stretch people and give them those that ability, that mm-hmm. that space to develop courage.
0: And I think we also need to recognize the faster we're going, the more resistance we're going to run into. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm driving my car up to down a residential street and I stick my hand out the window, there's not going to be a lot of wind resistance. the same thing when you're going 75 miles down the freeway, a little bit different. So when we need to pivot quickly, as we've had to do in this pandemic, we're going to meet with more resistance. We're going to need more adaptability. The unknown is much larger.
1: Mm -hmm. And it leads to the fourth component of the model, which is commitment. And... You know, it, when we're moving this fast, it is it is often easier uh, to try to, to to embrace and to use a command and control style of leadership, but that doesn't always lead to commitment where people, you know, go above and beyond and are truly committed to a new direction. What does it take for leaders to build commitment?
0: In terms of building commitment, again, I'm going to go back to, I think that needs, they need we as leaders need to demonstrate that yeah um, be the role model be the example one of the keys i believe to cultivating resilience is practicing mindfulness mm-hmm. and um, i'll just define that as the art of paying attention on purpose nice <laughs> monitoring our thoughts you know negative thoughts anxious thoughts we can observe them rather than react to them. I lived most of my life in the upper Midwest. I'm very familiar with tornadoes. I've watched them come in and run to the basement at the last second, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get out of the way. In a tornado, there's an eye of the tornado where it's calm and tranquil. As a leader, our ability to have a clear, calm, and tranquil mind and to listen and observe I think is a huge part of getting commitment because we need to figure out where our people are at, what's important to them. If they, if they don't have a person, if they don't see a personal stake or reason or an organizational reason to move forward, it's going to be tough for them to do that. This is a time to go back to vision and why we are in business, why we exist what we're all about. And to have individuals carve out a piece of that where they can literally see and feel their contribution to that vision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the the last component you mentioned in this model, resilience and and the connectedness here with mindfulness and resilience. You know, we're just, we're seeing more and more re, uh, research on mindfulness. There's nothing soft about it. There's a direct correlation between mindfulness and performance, whether it's in athletics or whether it's in medicine or whether it's in business with executive leadership, that mindfulness component is so key to building that resilience.
0: Mm-hmm. And in just in terms of cultivating it, oh my gosh, Sal, you and I could come up with dozens of ways yeah. to cultivate resilience. Before our podcast today, I tried to boil it down to what do I see as the critical components of that um, from working with leaders, from watching their struggles and my own life experiences. Mm-hmm. I have five of them. Number one, accept what is. It is what it is. Right. <laughs> so instead of, oh, no. I think the question is what now?
1: Yeah. And without distorting or exaggerating on one hand or avoiding on the other, there's an acceptance. Awesome. What's number two?
0: Number two is believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Trust that you will be able, you have the capability to bounce back. Yeah. Trust in yourself and your ability to do that. I think that's really key. You know, sometimes what people do to build confidence or believe in themselves, you know, there's the infamous rabbit's foot that you can keep in your pocket, or maybe you wear a certain medal. Okay, so this is this is the truth. <laughs> you see these three-inch red heels.
1: <laughs> for, for folks that are listening to the audio, Jen, just... Uh, lifted up a three inch high heeled shoe on the, uh, on the visual screen.
0: Okay. I have a keynote called red heels in the green room. I got to tell you, it was nerve wracking being on national media and knowing that you have like three minutes, you talk in sound bites. And so I learned sometimes you're in that green room a lot longer than you want to be. So I just start, I got a pair of three inch red heels and I would be wear those red heels in the green room to bolster my courage. Yeah. And now, Sal, next time we meet, if I'm wearing these red heels, you probably want to bring your A game.
1: <laughs> All right. I'll keep that in mind. So one, accept what is number two, believe in yourself. And you had a few others. In terms of building resilience,
0: one of them I've already mentioned, which was practicing mindfulness, yeah, paying attention on purpose, listening,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: observant of where your people are at. Number four is be grateful. Oh, yeah. Um, Keep a gratitude journal. You can write down five things a night. Say thank you to people. One of the things I've been sharing with leaders lately, a couple I've been coaching and they love it. Is when right now with layoffs, with needing to shift what we're doing, how we're doing it, all Mm -hmm. the changes that are going on, start a meeting with a lightning round, 30 seconds per person. What's one good thing that's happened today? 100% of the time, these leaders have said to me, it changed the dynamics of that meeting.
1: Without a doubt. Talked with Eric Rosa. He's currently the CEO of CrossFit and He was on this show several months ago and former CEO of uh, data logics. And we talked to extent about gratitude. It just changes the way we think it changes our physiology changes the entire dynamic. I love that suggestion of starting your meetings with that minute of gratitude and a final tip Jan on building resilience.
0: Okay. And this really goes to the individual
1: Mm -hmm.
0: engage in daily wellness practices, yeah. whether it's meditation, yoga, running, or crazy things like you do sell like rock climbing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) what climbing does for me is, is in one word, it's freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what all of these wellness activities can offer people a sense of freedom where you can truly disconnect and, and take care of yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know in 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 conclusion in in terms of how I see resilience and what I would say to leaders is you're stronger than you think you are Mm. and every time you stretch that comfort zone you will see that you'll gain more confidence and you'll be willing to step out a little further each time it's it's extremely empowering to do that
1: Thank you so much, Jan, for being on the show today. You are an unbelievable person, so strong, resilient yourself, and you you lead the way in modeling how to live life. And uh, I know that uh, our listeners took a ton of value from this conversation today and how to build resilience within themselves and, and on their teams. So thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, Sal, for inviting me. It's It's really been an honor and a pleasure to do the podcast and to be lucky enough to work with you the past several years.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.